You're listening to Trail Correspondence presented by The Trek, a media company dedicated to long-distance backpacking. Get even more at thetrek.co. Correspondence. I am your host, Moron, and I'm coming to you from a dressage tack room. As I look around, I find that I'm surrounded by leather, whips, and chains. But before I start to conjure too much Fifty Shades of Grey imagery, let me assure you that this is a little bit more wholesome than that. In case you don't know, dressage is an equestrian sport defined as riding performed in exhibition and competition, as well as an art sometimes pursued solely for the sake of mastery, and a tack room is where you store all the associated equipment and accessories placed upon these elegant creatures. Now before you check to make sure you're listening to the right podcast, let me assure you, you are. This is episode 4 of Trail Correspondence, the wild card edition wherein each of our contributors get to relay whatever is on their mind. And this little bit of equine edification is my contribution to this no-holds-barred theme. Alright, enough horsing around. This episode is a fun expose highlighting everyone's unique taste and what they individually bring to the table. It's a narrative potluck. Let's get into it. Hello, this is Abby coming at you live from just getting into North Carolina, which is crazy. I walked through part of singular of a singular state, which is really cool. Um, this is the wild card episode, so basically I'm going to do whatever I want. And right now I'm walking and I have a poem from Mountain Crossings. Um, which I'll read, and then I'll go over all of my different mishaps on trail, which have been quite a lot. Um, So this one's from Mountain Crossings. Old trail runners tied up in the branches of an old oak, kissing toes above hikers sprouting from trail. A little help from my friends makes my pack lighter, and our laughter makes the hostel warmer. We sleep beneath all the soles of the through hikers who walked before us. Which is nice to look back on, especially after a night like last night, because Jesus Christ, that was, (laughs) that was such a time. Um, God, where the fuck is the trail? Um... I consistently get lost on this thing, which is really funny because it's super well marked. Um, I'm just going to take a guesstimate and say it's that way. But yeah, so last night I decided to go up ahead of my trail family because I wanted to put in some more miles and they wanted to take a zero. But I didn't feel like my body like hurt enough to take a zero, which I don't know if that's a bad mentality or not. But, you know, and so um, I, sorry, I had to check if I was on the trail or not, which I am. (laughs) So hooray. Oh, that's such a cool looking tree. It's like all gnarled and stuff. And it looks like a, 
giant seat. That's really awesome. I'm going to sit at it while I talk, maybe. Um, but so, yeah, last night I got into camp. I was soaking wet. I decided to push on from the shelter um, because I didn't... The guys didn't make me... Well, I guess they made me a little uncomfortable there. Um, and I just didn't feel like sticking around um, there. And so I decided to push on to Bly Gap. Um, and plus I wanted to cross into North Carolina. And so I got to Bly Gap, finally. And my feet are aching real badly. And so then I go to put up my... Well, first of all, I go to light my stove. And, that, I mean, I have bad experiences with that because that's where my Australian fireball comes from is because I almost lit my whole pack on fire with my stove. Um, but, so I go to light my stove and my lighter goes out. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I just start shoving my face full of cheese sticks, like a fucking cheese it well, cheese stick slot machine. And I'm, like, ravenously eating these things. And then while doing my stretches too so it's like because I do stretches every night as well and uh for like my hip and my feet and so I'm doing these stretches which are like walking squats and stuff like that so I have this band around my knees and I'm aggressively squatting and walking and shoving cheese sticks into my mouth so I looked pretty deranged but there was no one there so it didn't really matter and then I start like slurping down meat packets because I needed some food because it was getting pretty cold and I was completely soaked. And so then I go to hang up my food bag and it takes me like five tries to throw the damn rock over. I finally get the rock over and then I attach the food bag to the carabiner to do like a PCT hang. <clears throat> and I'm hauling it up. But the rope is too wet for it to actually move anywhere. <laughs> so at this point, I'm just like, fuck it. And so I literally just clip my bag to a tree <laughs> at like one foot off the ground. And I'm like, if a bear wants it, he's got it tonight. Like, you got me, buddy. And then I go and I crawl into my tent and it's like still pouring. And my tent's all set up and stuff like that. <laughs> It collapses on top of me and I'm like are you actually fucking kidding me right now and at this point I'm laughing at myself because I'm like okay I don't have a lighter anymore lighter's broken no more hot food can't even hang my food so maybe I don't even have food tomorrow <laughs> and now my tent is just collapsing on top of myself because <laughs> I couldn't set it up right and now I'm just like covered in this wet slimy fabric and it was for sure really interesting um and so this morning the sun came out a little bit so I went completely ballistic when I saw the blue sky because that means it might not be raining today which would actually make my fucking life so anyways just really glad to be out here actually despite all of that stuff happening because it makes me so appreciative of just a shred of blue sky or the sun coming out and yeah i hope you all are well over there and happy trails and i hope i can get some warm food maybe soon or at least my lighter to start working so bye
Here's Elke again. At the moment, I'm staying at the Laughing Heart Hostel at, in Hot Springs. I reached it yesterday. It was such a rainy day, and I was so red, and Tilly was so red, and everything was red. And yes, um, and it was so wonderful that um, I could uh, have a shower, and then I could my things everything in the washing machine and then in the dryer and it was so nice and then um i decided to stay uh, one day longer here so we had a zero day here but um, sometimes i think it's maybe it's not so good because um i wonder if i can make it to maine in time it is so far away and i don't have done so many miles at all sometimes i need a break for one day, sometimes my dog need a break. So, like today. So we can't go on day by day, miles for miles. Tomorrow, we are on trail again. Everything is dry and I have bought enough food for each other. And I think um, everything is okay. And we um, really are strong enough to do it tomorrow. But, um, and I want to reach Irvine in five days. But then I asked myself, is it possible? Or is it too much? I think it depends on the mountains or the up and downs all along the trail. I'm not sure. Maybe it takes me six days or seven. Have enough food for me and Tilly for so many days? Or so many questions and not enough answers. Have I the energy to reach the next shelter? Or must I stay at the tent site? I don't like to stay at the tent site. It scares me a little bit because of the bears. At the tent sites, sometimes you're alone. Or maybe there's one or two others tents. I have not a safe feeling to stay on a tent site. I don't know why, but um, there are no bear boxes and no cables for the food. And I can't, I can't um, put my food in a tree. I can't do it. I can't put the rope around the tree. And, and I don't know, I, it's, I have to learn it one day. So, yes, that's our thoughts I have every day. And um, yes, I see the other hikers and I have the feeling um, all the others run away and they um, make it and I'm the only one um, who don't come any further. Okay, maybe it's um, normal, usual in the first days or first weeks. I will see how far I come and I will tell you my story the next time. Ciao!
Hello everyone, this is Emily Russo-Miller and I'm talking to you from Gathlin State Park in Maryland after my first 24 hours on trail. So um, you have to excuse me, I'm actually not feeling so hot right now. Um, I did get sick last night throwing up and I have a crushing headache still, <laughs> but I did want to send this in um, because spirits are high. Um, as my body is adjusting, but I'll, I'll get back to that more in a minute. But yeah, so I thought for the wildcard episode, I'd actually do my summary of t- the first 24 hours, uh, first night and day on trail, um, because I wasn't on trail for that episode earlier. Um, so my parents actually gave me a wonderful, very sweet send off from, uh, Harper's Ferry yesterday. Uh, We rented an Airbnb in town and stayed there for two days, just like gallivanting around Harper's Ferry. (laughs) And it was so sweet and so wholesome and so nice. And we went went to all the restaurants and, you know, I got my hang tag at the ATC um, uh, headquarters there. And yeah, so in the morning on Sunday morning, they drove me to the trailhead and off I went. And... (laughs) Um, I just immediately on the bridge crossing it, like I just like break down crying. (laughs) Um, so I think that was like kind of this release of energy. And also, you know, I do feel this overwhelming gratitude toward my very supportive parents. And it was just like a sweet send off. Um, it was a little tough too, because, you know, growing up, I was a military kid, like moving every two or three years. And my mom and I were commenting as we were driving to the trailhead that, you know, goodbyes used to be so easy. It was just part of our life, like a hard, cold fact when we were kids, you know, or when I was a kid and my siblings. Um, But I kept commenting on now that I'm older, it gets harder (laughs) each time. Um, Yeah, so my mom said uh, about the same thing. And she says it's hard every time I say goodbye to you. So it was just very sweet. Um, so yeah, so crying on the bridge already. (laughs) And, um, Harper's Ferry is a wonderful place to start trail, um, for everyone because it really eases you into it. Uh, you know, it's flat, which is pretty rare for the first, I don't know, two, three miles. Um, and then it also was really wonderful for me and just something kind of clicked, you know, because, uh, Harper's Ferry has special meaning to me because that's where I finished my lash two years ago. So it was just so cool, like, coming back here and, like, picking up exactly where I left off. You know, I was tempted to start my flip-flop in the middle of the Shenandoahs um, or around there in Virginia because that's, like, a good way to break up the Virginia blues, um, you know, splitting the that long state in half. But I decided to go for Harper's Ferry, and I'm really glad I did. It was an excellent start. Beautiful day. I left around 7 a.m. in the fog. I love the early morning hiking and I love like a cold chill in the morning. (laughs) Um, Like that's fine by me, uh, especially because I'm not acclimated to hot weather yet. And um, yeah, so, you know, I went about three miles and it goes up to these cliffs. And just as I was getting up there, the clouds and fog parted and I got this immaculate, incredible view, which I felt very lucky and appreciative for. You know, the AT is just infamous for throwing you up and down mountains and never giving you a view. So, like, my very first moment on the first day, um, it was just very, very cool that I got that. Um, so, I'm not trying to, like, read the tea leaves here, um, you know, as far as whether how it's going to go on trail. But I took that as a very good omen. <laughs> um, okay, so on trail, also, some first impressions are... 
you know, because I've been like inside a lot this winter, um, I almost forgot how beautiful and what it is I like about hiking. <laughs> but immediately when I get on, on trail from Harper's Ferry, I saw two deer on trail. I saw two rabbits and saw a family of ducks, including three ducklings. So it was just, you know, I just was taking my time, enjoying myself, easing in. Um, and I was just like greatly rewarded with all the wildlife and, um, and the views. Um, so I only went about 8.1 miles yesterday because I'm under strict orders <laughs> from, uh, my physical therapist, um, to only go 10 miles a day for the first 10 days. So it's going to be a very uh, difficult test of discipline to stick to that. You know, I think most people can relate when you start, you're just like rearing to go, right? You just want to get out there. Sorry, there's cars driving by, but yeah. So, you know, everyone's like excited to start. Um, I kind of feel like a sled dog at the start of the Iditarod. You know, you're just like howling on the inside, like wanting to get going. But I am a dog on a leash right now, which is good for my body. So it obviously gives your tendons and all your ligaments time to adjust to your pack. Um, so that's my strategy right now. Um, and so my mindset for that is... <laughs> What a, what a dream, what a dream it is to have this time. Um, you know, you can like bitch and moan about like, you know, feeling restrained, but in reality, it's like this beautiful gift. <laughs> you know, it just means like I did two blue blazes yesterday, uh, you know, the side trails and I did two blue uh, blazes today. You know, it's 1040 and I just took a two hour break, you know, because I can and I charge my phone and stuff at this state park, Gathlin State Park. I read all the historical markers. So it's just a wonderful way to travel, like going at this in this slow mode. Um, so I'm just, you know, you can either fight it or you can just like accept it and enjoy it. So I'm definitely um, doing the second. But yeah, that meant that yesterday, you know, I hiked from like 7 to 10 and I'm at the campsite for the night. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> and luckily there were people there to chat with. Um, and this is the best part is I am one of three flip floppers who started that day. So um, there's two other people who are on the same track as me. And it was very validating meeting them because they are doing the same exact strategy, you know, with like the low miles to start. Um, so... Uh, where I'm probably going to see him at the shelter again tonight since we're all on the same schedule. Um, so it was kind of cool to, um, yeah, get that validation. Uh, there's also two other people, one of whom has a dog who are section hiking. So we'll, they're also on the same track as us. So there's five of us kind of right now all going to meet at the same shelters for the next little bit. Um, yeah, so all in all, a very strong start. Um, we played card games, someone brought cards. This one guy has a 40 pound pack, so he's got all sorts of stuff in there. And he whipped out a thing of cards and we like played for, I don't know, like four hours yesterday. <laughs> um, we all learned new games, so that was great. And just getting to meet everyone. And there was a few day hikers too on, cause it was Mother's Day. So it was cool to um, meet some of the moms. Um, yeah, so the trouble for me started in the evening time, um, all of a sudden in my tent at night, actually maybe an hour, like at 7 p.m., I started getting this slow building headache. 
Um, even though I drink a lot of water, I um, throughout the day I eat 1,700 calories, um, you know, which should be plenty. And yeah, I I don't know what happened exactly, but um, yeah, I started getting fever and chills throughout the night. I really had a hard time sleeping, um, and I felt very nauseous in my tent. And I got up twice to, you know, just get out and, like, walk because I was feeling so disoriented. And I was like, let me just, like, get out of this tent for a second. Um, And, yeah, but I managed, um, you know, I, like, made it through the night. But as soon as I woke up this morning, I just immediately, sorry, trigger warning here, but immediately I'm throwing up. (laughs) So I have no idea what happened. My body did great yesterday. My body, um, you know, it does feel fatigued and stuff today, just, I think, from the sickness, not from, like, the hiking portion of it. So, uh, anyway, I'm just being mindful of it and careful, extra cautious. Um, but who knows, just, like, mystery ailment. Um, maybe my body is, like, shocked about what it's doing right now. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, but I'm, speaking of tea leaves, one thing that happened to me that I noticed is after I was sick, um, I was talking to one of the guys and he was like, oh no, are you going to turn back? Like go back to Harper's Ferry. And, um, you know, for me, who's been doubting whether or not I'm going to do this trip or not, I noticed I had a very strong reaction to that comment. And I almost like had to, you know, stifle a laugh because I was like, there's no way in hell I'm turning back. Like, are you kidding me? You know? And so actually the thought, exact thought that went through my head at that time, which I'm sharing with you, (laughs) was um, you will have to pry this away from me, from my cold, dead hands. (laughs) And so when I thought that, I was like, whoa, Em, that's a pretty strong reaction. You know, it sounds like you really want to be out here. So (laughs) Um, again, just taking stuff day by day. I still have a headache today. That's pretty bad. But, you know, I'm just taking it really easy. And, you know, the nice thing about the ET is, you know, you're never too far from a town. So, all right, guys, that's my first 24 hours and I'll talk to you in a few weeks. All right. Bye. Hey, guys, it's Minstrel here. I'm sitting here with, uh, I guess member of my trail family, Sinead, or Sunrise Hustle, or Sunrise for short. Say hi. Hi. So um, today uh, it's a wild card episode. So Sinead is going to ask me a few questions and I will hopefully expand on them in a manner that's not too incoherent or rambling. (laughs) So first off, you've been doing an experiment where you were trying to resupply with kosher food on the trail. How has that been going? Yeah, thank you. Um, That's been, it's been interesting. Uh, It was about as difficult as I expected it to be uh, in many ways. There were a few pleasant surprises. Um, The main difficulty is animal protein, right? Uh, Of course, chicken and beef are kosher animals, but in order to eat them in a kosher way, they have to be raised and slaughtered and prepared, you know, according to certain laws of of kashrut is what it's called. And these little towns just don't have 
enough of a Jewish population to support mm. having that kind of meat brought in. The main animal protein that you can find that's easily kosher is going to be your tuna packets and your salmon packets. Mm. It's It gets old real fast. Yeah. Yeah. A boy <laughs> can only eat so much tuna and salmon. Uh, that said, I did find a few towns like Big Bear so far had a really nice supermarket that had some really good snacks that were kosher. There were these things, I think they were called balls. Uh, of course, most of the protein bars out there are kosher. The balls are vegan, completely plant-based, uh, and they also had what's called a hexure, which is just a certification from a kosher certifying agency. Uh, the other ones, you know, uh, Lenny and Larry's cookies, always kosher. Glad they don't put bacon in them, but they couldn't because they're <laughs> vegan. <laughs> and uh, the snacks are, are pretty easy to find. Something that's a little harder to find too is like entrees. Most of the norposticides are not kosher. Um, most of the mac and cheeses also aren't. I don't know why uh, Kraft Mac and Cheese and Annie's Organics have not sprung for it. There's a brand, I think it's called Goodles. They are vegan and or actually they might not be vegan, but they are actually kosher certified, which was really nice to find. Um, so other than that, yeah, if, if you wanted to keep strictly kosher on trail, it would be difficult to have a good variety of food mm. without sending yourself resupply boxes or dehydrating your own food and sending it out that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's doable. It's just not going to be super interesting from what you can get in town. Exactly. And you're going to get sick of everything you have because mm. that's the risk you run. I did also find in Tehachapi, there was a grocery store that had vegan kosher ramen for the same mm. price that every other ramen is. You know, good old yeah, five right? for a dollar. It was, mm. I can't wait to try it. I haven't tried it yet because we've been eating too much good town food, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what else did you want to ask me? Well, we were also going to have a chat about what it's been like meeting other hikers on trail. Yeah. So I've met some hikers, you know, a lot of groups that I didn't really like to hike with. Mm -hmm. um, they would come into camps late at night, make a lot of noise. There was one instance where a guy actually, while I was getting water, he ran his guy line underneath the corner of my tent. Mm -hmm. And then every time he moved at night, it sounded like there was a mouse digging at my tent. It was really obnoxious mm. but then occasionally i stayed at a hostel in big bear and met a group of hikers that were going in the opposite direction as me mm. and i really felt like a really great connection with them they included me in what they were doing and i didn't really feel so lonely mm. um i hadn't i hadn't felt like hiking with people was really great uh after I hiked with uh, two people, Shark and Half Pint, for a little bit, mm. and we had a really great connection, but ultimately just split off for a few different reasons, mm. and I was missing them a lot. And then when we connected over at... The Hot Springs. Yeah, we connected at the Hot Springs, and then at, was it Arrowhead Lake? 
Springwood Lake. Silverwood. Silverwood, yeah. Um, then we kind of been hiking since. Uh, yeah. You, me, Pina Colada. Say hi, Pina Colada. Hey, everybody. And Rafael. How you doing? Yeah, so this is, I guess, my trail family for a little bit. Um, and I think that's kind of the story early in the trail, right? You just kind of, it's, most people don't seem to find a group straight away, but you kind of drift back and forth until you find the people whose pace matches you and who you get along with. Absolutely. And yeah. that's been probably one of the best parts about it. So. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, I'm going to take off now. everyone and I'm excited for this wild card prompt uh, interested to see how this is all going to come together for everybody else and uh, honestly I'm just as interested in the other trail correspondence responses to this episode as I am <laughs> as I hope you are for mine um, but I'm coming at you here from Buena Vista or Buena Vista the locals pronounce it differently here in Virginia on my zero day this has been my fourth zero and I'm fortunate that a lot of my Friends have come out here to visit, and my girlfriend um, to celebrate actually her birthday and also the work on the AT. So this is a really exciting place. Um, and one of the things I thought I would talk about for the wild card that is a little bit of ex- expectations versus reality, but also just kind of misconceptions about the AT um, is I want to talk a little about like tramly dynamics. So I talked about in some of my early trail correspondence um, the fact that I really wanted to be in a tramly and that I wanted to be a part of the social side of the AT. In fact, that's one of the biggest reasons I'm doing the AT instead of some of the other trails where it's a little bit easier to find what maybe folks would call like solitude. Um, I really wanted to make new friends out here. And since then, I've been fortunate to be in an awesome tramley. Uh, We call ourselves the Magic School Bus, which is amazing. And at any given time, we have somewhere between six and nine hikers (laughs) in the tramley, which I think is a pretty big tramley. and it's been fantastic. I mean, it's a, it's a great accountability system. Um, it's really fun to always have people to hang out with and talk with at camp. We play card games all the time. We actually do a really cool um, sort of grounding, sort of just like summer camp style game called High Low Buffalo, where we share something great from the day, something low from the day, and something random from the day. And I really love this because kind of gives us a way to check in on each other and see how everybody's doing with their hike. Um, you just never know what folks are dealing with, if they have challenges back home, um, if they're, you know, any, any personal sort of emergencies that have happened, um, or just if they want to talk about their feelings and how they're feeling about the trail. Cause some days it just isn't that much fun to be out here, especially when it's really rainy and cold, or especially when you feel like you just can't hike as, as well as you normally do, or you twisted your ankle or anything like that. So the Tramley has been an, a really, really incredible gift. Um, but one thing that I just thought I would talk about a little bit that I think would be important for anyone who's trying to do a, a long-distance hike um, and, you know, wants to be in a, in a Tramley, which I think all of us at least want to be around maybe one or two other people every once in a while, but I could be wrong, is I feel like when you watch YouTube videos and you read articles on the trek or you read blogs, it kind of always sounds like the Tramley is just like this incredible group of people that you're just happy-go-lucky all the time, um, which is mostly true, <laughs> I think. For the most part, I would agree with a lot of that, where you know everyone's just 
you're really having so much fun and it's summer camp every day on the trail with your tramley and it's just happiness all the time, which like I said, is mostly true. But one thing that I feel like is a little bit of a misconception is that a lot of times being a tramley can actually be really, really challenging. And what what does that look like? Um, so a good example is mileage. Everybody comes out to the trail with kind of different ideas on how far they want to go every day and how fast they want to make it to Katahdin. So for me, I'm hoping to average somewhere between 15 and 18 miles a day by the time I finish. And some other folks in our tramley, you know, that's like a pretty big effort for them every day. Um, or, you know, they want to do similar mileage, but they're not as fast. I was doing 15, 16, 17, 18 mile days in Georgia right from the start which maybe wasn't the smartest idea. I didn't get injured, <laughs> but I don't know if I would recommend starting off that fast or at that pace. Um, and now we're at a point in Virginia where we all kind of have our trail legs and we're doing 18 to 22 miles a day. But really, pretty consistently, we'll have not arguments, but more intense conversations about what mileage should look like for the tramley. And we usually like to set a lunch break point in the day and a campsite for the day when we get up in the morning or the night before. Um, and that, those aren't always easy conversations, like to kind of plan things out. And sometimes I think folks feel like in the tramway that we plan too much. Like we're now at the point where we're planning at least, you know, usually two or three days ahead. So we can kind of think through our resupplies and kind of just have a nice plan for what days are going to be bigger days, what days maybe are easier days. And that's just always been a tough conversation for us. Um, haven't always enjoyed being in a position where I want to do a certain amount of mileage and other folks don't. Um, and that's something that I think is important to talk about as you're thinking about your tramway is you kind of want to find folks that have a similar hiking style to you. So if you want to get out and crush miles every single day, when you're meeting people, it's important to kind of get a sense of like, do they want to just hike from dawn until dusk and get as many miles under their belt every single day, make it to Katahdin as soon as possible, which is a totally valid way to hike the AT. That's probably someone you'll really vibe with. If you're meeting folks who maybe want to kind of soak it in a little bit more, take a little bit more time, um, and that's what you're trying to do, it's good to be around those folks as well. So it's just, it's one of those questions that you don't really think about as you're putting together your family. Usually it's just like, oh, I've got a good connection with this person or this person seems normal. <laughs> I think I'll hike with them for a day or two. But hiking style really is a big part of it. We call it in our family the hike, your hiker kung fu. It's like what type of hike do you want to do? Are you a soaker? Are you a crusher? Are you a little bit of both? Um, and that's something that I didn't know anything about when I decided to do the AT. I didn't really think about hiking style impacting the tramway. I just kind of thought I would just find people who want to hike together. Um, and the other side of being in a tramway too that I think is a little bit tough is like sometimes there's just interpersonal conflict, just like in regular life. You know, think about your friend group back home. You know, there's times that we all get on each other's nerves, especially out here. I know for me, um, I get hangry really, really easily when we, especially when we're going to town and if folks are taking a long time during resupply and we're kind of waiting to make sure everyone's got what they need, I can get really upset and really frustrated because I just want to eat like my body weight in a burrito and I don't really have the option to do that. <laughs> so that's something that I think is just important too, is like you have to be able to navigate some of those interpersonal conflict things on trail and you, I just didn't think that was going to ever be a thing when I started hiking. So anyway, that's a little bit of a random uh, topic to talk about today, Tramley Dynamics. Uh, thanks for listening.
Hello all, this is Allie, AKA TC. I have a trail name, AKA Appalachian Adventurista. I am currently walking through Southern Virginia, which contrary to <laughs> what I heard pre-trail is not flat. <laughs> I've got a lot of climbs today, but that's okay. This is very much what I signed up for with the Appalachian Trail. Today is a really beautiful day. We've got blue skies, white puffy clouds. It's very stark contrast to yesterday's doom and gloom and thunderstorms and the uh, thunderstorms that are predicted for tomorrow as well. So I'm relishing in this good weather and listening to the bird songs. Today, I have had some musings that I wanted to share about place and identity and home. Uh, as I, you know, continue this somewhat nomadic lifestyle, um, only a handful of times on trail have I stayed in the same place or general location for more than one night. And I've been really thinking today on place and home because out here on trail home is not a physical location it turns into as I have found the things that I have and the people I am around and so while the people around me have been changing a bit more than I predicted pre-trail um, I do find um, so far at least temporary home in the folks that I am around for more than a couple days at a time. And that's lovely. I do look forward to finding home in a group of folks for more than a few days at a time, but I trust that that will happen. And even if it doesn't, I um, am prepared for that potentiality. But really what I have been thinking about today is the items in my pack and in my gear list that feel like home um, and that bring me comfort. And it, this really got spurred on yesterday as a thought process because I was uh, not in a good mood, <laughs> just to put it blankly. Um, I was um, not in a great headspace and all day, all I wanted was to be curled up in my sleeping bag. <laughs> and that got me kind of thinking and mulling over why. <laughs> and I was a little surprised at the thought that um, all I wanted was my sleeping bag <laughs> and the comfort level that that gear item brings me now uh, surprised me a little bit. Um, but the more I think about it, the less surprised I am. I am well into my through hike at this point and that gear item has been a constant the whole time. And from day one with really cold temperatures, was providing me with warmth and security. So the more I think about it, the less surprised I am. But I, I hadn't considered the items like that in my pack that feel like home to me out here and provide me with the same, a lot of the similar, I should say, comforts of, you know, being at home and, um, and feeling that kind of love and warmth from a physical space. So some of those items in my pack currently 
include obviously my sleeping bag. Um, I also <laughs> receive some comfort from the trucker hat that I'm carrying with me. This is a hat that has been with me <clears throat> across several continents and countries and uh, many years at this point. Um, and I, um, again, was surprised, although I maybe shouldn't have been, at how much comfort it gives me to have my favorite hat on my head. Similar things with my sun shirt and my puffy jacket. Those also provide me with feelings of comfort and they feel like home to put on. If I'm ever not feeling um, totally comfortable in a, a hostel or a shelter, um, putting on my puffy jacket gives me immediate comfort and makes me feel better. And that's just an interesting thought process. By extension, I have been considering this further and I'm wondering how uh, these items that feel like home might suggest a change in a sense of identity as, um, you know, I kind of creep closer to the edge of um, what is considered Southern versus Northern Appalachia. Um, considering that my identity is Appalachian, I am excited to continue this thought process and kind of push the boundaries further as to how home and identity on my through hike are interrelated. So stay tuned. I may have more thoughts on that later, but for today, I am going to enjoy this weather and enjoy the birds. Talk to you later. Good morning from Idlewild, California. Um, I am going to talk a little bit today for this wildcard episode about uh, my experience in the last couple of days and decision making when it comes to making big, actually, you know, life and death safety decisions so early on in a through hike. So I arrived at mile 151, Paradise Valley Cafe, uh, two days ago now, and Originally, the plan was for the group that I have been hiking with the last few days to just give San Jacinto a try. We were going to go up, re sorry, resupply Night of Wild first, go up, see what we thought, have a look, and go from there. So we took a zero, we took a Nero, and then we were going to take a zero yesterday uh, and use that day to sort of do some logistical planning, talk to some people, get some first-hand info, and then make a decision on what to do. Um, I spoke to a couple of people, uh, the first being an absolutely amazing woman who works in the gear shop in town, who uh, is a mountaineer and who had gone up a couple of days prior because she'd had a lot of people asking her about conditions and she wanted to be able to actually answer. Um, and she scared the bejesus out of me um, in a good way in that she was really honest about the uh, trail conditions and how there's still a lot of snow but that snow is now melting which means that your ice axe and micro spikes are potentially useless um, and that it is a fall or sorry it's a no fall situation if you fall you die or are seriously injured that's the sort of conditions we're still dealing with um, I then spoke to another hiker who had gone up and bailed out 
um, but it had taken him something like 12 hours to hike four miles because of the awful conditions. And so I personally had decided that I wasn't going to be making those sort of attempts. I'm not a skilled mountaineer. I have very, very little experience in snow, if any at all, really. Um, And I am not comfortable in my own abilities to be able to get myself out of any sticky situations. So luckily, a couple of people I'm hiking with have had similar thoughts and feelings, but half of the group have decided to go through. Um, which is kind of a tricky thing to navigate. I mean, group dynamics are hard anyway, but group dynamics when we've actually only been on trail for a week and a half and everyone's still getting to know each other and making different decisions are even more tricky. And I think it became a bit of a stressful day. Um, So what ended up working was the group is sort of splintered apart with those who want to go up, give it a try. And then three of us are actually deciding to flip. So it's kind of a weird thing to be flipping a week and a half into a through hike. It's not certainly not what I really expected. I mean, I considered this might be a possibility with the whole snow situation, but um, it's not it's not ideal. But we've got a trail angel who's going to take us up, and we're going to head up to Tehachapi tomorrow. So we will then hike southbound from Tehachapi. Oh, there's my friend. Let me go say hi. Good morning. It's been a little while since I last spoke to you. I'm now at mile about 605 on the PCT and I have completed my flip. Um, pretty much. So there's a caveat to that. I did flip up to Tehachapi um, and hiked southbound back to Idlewild, which was a really, really fun experience. Um, it was definitely a little more lonely. I was with a group and there was three of us. And there was a few other southbounders around, but the vast majority of people were heading north, so we'd see them in passing um, briefly. And then, you know, not again, but um, it was a really fun fun way to spend ooh, God, wet feet on the PCT in the desert. <laughs> um, it was a really fun way to spend three and a half weeks. I think it ended up being almost four. And we had these magic, like... 48 hours where we crossed paths with everybody that we'd met and had been hiking with for the first few weeks or a couple of weeks. So the flip was a success in that in that respect. I was able to do the aqueduct section when it was really cool. Um, we started it really early in the morning. We didn't even need to night hike. Um, and finished it about 10 a.m. And then the rest of the trail was fairly easy going. We did have to skip... Uh, about 20 miles because of the wildfire closure outside of Wrightwood, which is fine. In my mind, if the trail is closed, it just doesn't exist. I'm not going to worry about it. It's 20 miles. And then when I got back to San Jacinto, the group that I was hiking with, both of them got injured and stayed stayed behind in Big Bear, actually, um, when I went ahead to Cabazon and, and then up towards San Jacinto. Um, so I didn't actually end up summiting. I got to Fuller Ridge and I was by myself and there had been a recent snowstorm still and reports were that conditions were really bad and I just didn't fancy risking it by myself. If I was with a group, I would have felt a lot more confident, but my ice axe usage is minimal. Um, did some practice on Baden-Powell and 
snow patches outside of them, but it didn't fill me with confidence that I'd be successful in the summit and I didn't want to risk the rest of my hike or just, you know, the rest of my life. So I took one of the alternates down into Idlewild um, and then completed my flip there. So technically I still have, a, you know, 20 or 30 miles to do um, near Idlewild, but again, just not going to worry about it. So I flipped back up to Tehachapi uh, uh, two days ago now with a couple of lovely people called Nacho and Wheels who I have befriended and we're hiking together to Wrightwood. Uh, no, not to Ridgecrest. We'll be in Ridgecrest in a couple of days. Um, and then from there, it's on to Kennedy Meadows. So flipping, it seems, is going to just be part of the normality of a PCT3 hike in 2023. I don't understand. Well, for myself, there's no way that I'm not going to be able to flip again. I'm not going to go into the Sierra straight away. Um, this snow on Bain Pal and San Jacinto is, you know, confirmed to me that I'm not a snow traveller. I don't know how to deal with it properly. Um, so I'm going to flip again or skip ahead to somewhere. I don't know where yet. That's TBD. Um, but yeah, all in all, successful flip. The year of the pancake, as I've had it referred to, is definitely, uh, definitely happening for me at least. Yeah, I'm very excited to get to Ridgecrest and go to the all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. We're counting down the miles to that buffet. Hey there, this is David Ferrari, trail name Good Soup, coming at you from the Appalachian Trail. In the last episode, you heard me back in February talking about my first night on trail. And in this episode, it's the middle of May, and I am at mile 850, just shy of Waynesboro, Virginia. So there's been, (laughs) uh, I guess you could say, significant progress since you last heard from me. Um, I get to talk about anything today because it's a wildcard episode. So, while I huff and puff through this section, I thought it'd be fun to talk about my journey uh, through how I approach the trail, from being a purist to being what I am now. So, let's talk about it. Uh, When I set out on the trail, I had kind of a rigid, purist approach to how I wanted to do it, because I didn't want to, uh, you know, do it quote-unquote incorrectly and have my trip be for naught. I should clarify what a purist is. Uh, Generally accepted definition is that it's someone who hikes past every white blaze on the trail so they they hike every step of the AT proper and they don't take any shortcuts they don't skip a section um, that kind of thing Um, so if you weren't a purist you might 
for example, in Georgia, instead of climbing up to Blood Mountain, you might take the Freeman Pass around because it's shorter and has less elevation. Um, or there are some people where they'll do what's called yellow blazing, yellow like a taxi, where they just skip a section via automobile to like, I'm just going to skip this 50, 100 mile, whatever section to get out of a section I hate or because my friends are up the trail, that kind of thing. But when I started on the trail months ago, oh, that's weird. Anyway, um, I was really into a purist approach for myself. I besides for myself, because even back then, I was like, whatever anyone else wants to do, that's for them. But I was going to hike every step of the trail, so no blue blazes or anything like that, and I was only going to hike northbound, and I wasn't going to slack pack. Slack pack is where someone, like maybe a hostel as a service, or a friend will like hold on to most of your gear so that you don't have to hike with all of your camping equipment or whatever. So it's just your food and water for the day. So that you can do a bigger mile day because you're carrying less weight. And I was like, nope, I'm gonna carry all my gear, only go north, not skip any sections. And I did that for very clearly all the way up through Hot Springs. And then Hot Springs, when you enter into town, there's like a little parking lot right away, which you then uh, cut through and go across a road and then down some steps into town. And I, the my hostel was immediately there, so I immediately went to the hostel, and when I hiked out, I didn't go back through the parking lot, I just went straight to the road. So you might be being like, that's such a small amount. And you'd be correct, but in my mind, I was like, oh, I didn't carry my pack through there. Like, should I go back and hike those five steps with my backpack so that I don't ruin my streak? And that was my first moment of, that, that sounds so silly. Like, we'd have to walk miles back just to walk five steps. Like, is it really, uh... Is that really what's going to, like, if you hike the rest of it as a purist and you skipped those five steps, would that keep you up at night? I was like, no, it wouldn't. Why am I putting that regulation on me? And then out of Damascus, I hiked, you know, I was hiking the white blazes, whatever. And there was a section where it meets back up with the much flatter uh, creeper bike trail and I took a blue blaze because I thought there was a campsite nearby so I hiked parallel to um, the trail for half a mile and then realized oh shoot there isn't a campsite here so I just scrambled up the trussle of a bridge or sorry the dirt next to it I didn't, I didn't climb up the trussle but next to it and I remember setting up tent my tent that night and being like oh shoot I gotta go back and hike that half mile where I, even though it was the exact same distance and only a slight change in elevation, I technically wasn't on the AT for the last half mile. And I woke up the next morning and I was like, why, no, I, I still hiked here. I, it wasn't like I cut 10 miles off, like I hiked the same 
mileage or whatever. And I did, in a sense, hike that elevation because I had to go up a very steep bank to get back up onto the trail so I could get to a campsite. And those are just the examples I'm providing of how I, you know, how I broke my streaks of certain aspects of uh, being a purist. And I guess this is all to say where it's like, this has been kind of a freeing circumstance for me where once I was no longer holding on to that streak of only white blazes and every inch with my pack on, I was like, wow, now that I don't have that anymore, I realized all that was was weight that wasn't actually serving me, which I tend to get philosophical about the trail and think about how um, the trail is kind of like life. In a way, you can make a lot of comparisons. I was like, huh, I wonder what other self-enforced restrictions I have in my life that I'm only holding on to because, well, I've always held on to them. And so those moments on trail have freed up my mind a lot to think about why I do or don't do things in my life. Um, and also it helped me figure out what was important to what I'm doing on trail. And so now I realize that, you know, having my bag on at all times and that kind of, and uh, hiking every single white blaze isn't important to me. But what is important is that I hike northbound and that I have a continuous footpath so there's no like gaps um, like one time a shuttle dropped me off 200 yards past where they had picked me up so I just walked back and you know picked that up again so that I have a continuous footpath um, so yeah I guess I mostly just wanted to share that uh purism on the trail is not for everyone. It is for some people, and I support people who do that, but I guess what I'm saying is if you're a purist on a trail and you're having a bad time of it, like all the things you're doing aren't making you feel like you're having a good time, just try breaking off from that and seeing if you feel better, because I... I get the challenge of, you know, I want to do the AT in a more challenging fashion, but I'd, uh, I'd nudge anyone who feels like they have to be a purist, um, to just, uh, ease up a bit, <laughs> um, because that change has certainly done wonders for me, and also it made me realize that I was kind of being, following purist things uh, practices because I was worried what other people would think about my hike and eventually I realized I'm only hiking this trail for me so if someone's like well I don't think you're a through hiker I'd be like well um, cool bye so yeah that's uh that's what I want to talk about and that was kind of what was on my mind I hope this was interesting and uh hope everyone's well this is good soup signing off
Hello all, this is Panther checking in from Wrightwood along the PCT. This is mile 369 of the PCT. Due to some flippy floppy on the trail, I have hiked 569 miles of the PCT so far this year. As I'm certain you all know, California's had some absolutely record-breaking snow this year. And I mentioned in a previous episode that I had my hip chopped into multiple pieces, repositioned, screwed back together, and had to relearn how to walk less than a year and a half ago. So while my hip is doing an absolutely outstanding job handling this hike and getting stronger every single day, it just is not up to long, unbroken stretches of snow, especially steep and exposed expanses. It just tires out a lot quicker than the rest of me. I also have something called Hashimoto's. So I can go hypothyroid when I hike, have a history of it, which comes with muscle weakness, fatigue, and lethargy. And just the snow really wears me out between those two. So I, like many other hikers, have flipped up and down the trail to find long sections to hike with reasonable amounts of snow. So when I last talked to you, I was waiting out of atmospheric river Lake Marina. Since then, I hiked all the way to PVC. We went through a couple windstorms, got a little sick for a bit, but then once I was in Idlewild, San Jacinto had just opened that day and involved long stretches of very exposed snow and some technical climbing. And I just did not feel safe with that in my hip. So with many other hikers, I flipped all the way up to Tehachapi and hiked south for a while, getting all the way to Agua Dulce. When I got into the Agua Dulce area, I was coming into the next stretch of Mount Baden-Powell, which was still covered in snow. And so I flipped up to Tehachapi again and walked up to Walker Pass, which was snowless at that time. And then from Walker Pass, I flipped back around, came back down to Idlewild, and hiked up San Jacinto, which had mostly melted out. Um, I ended up doing a couple miles on snow, but it wasn't very exposed. I felt very safe. And I was able to come down Devil's Slide before Fuller Ridge and therefore avoiding the very technical section of Fuller Ridge that I just didn't feel safe doing with my bit weaker of a hip. Went back up Black Canyon Road with many hikers and have hiked now all the way to Wrightwood. Next is Baden-Powell. I have hiked patches of snow here and there in the last few days. Most things have melted out. I have to make a decision sometime tonight or tomorrow about if I am going to try to summit Baden-Powell or take the highway around. I've talked to hikers that have done both. Um, going up Baden-Powell, still quite snowy, but doable in microspikes. Going around the road is supposed to be absolutely beautiful in its own way. There's still no cars on that section of road, and so it's just supposed to be kind of a really fun hike. But also going up a mountain is really fun. So I haven't decided which way I'm going to go there. 
but it's been an interesting flippy floppy going here, going there in order to avoid stretches of trail that are just not meeting my body's physical capacity. So just with any hiker that might be thinking of hiking in the future that does have challenges that are different than other people's out there, there's a way to make it work. I can't hike the long 25-mile days that all the young kids are hiking this far into the trail. My body just doesn't do that. But I can consistently pump out 15, 16, 17 miles every single day, hit 20 yesterday, and maintain that pace in a way that works for my body, rest when my body needs it, find areas of trail that my body can hike, and still hike all the miles that everyone else is hiking. I'm still keeping up with a lot of the faster hikers, simply because of consistency. I just keep going. I don't tend to enjoy town days or shorter days. Um, so you don't have to have the perfect body to be out here. You don't have to be the strongest, fittest hiker that can pump out the most miles. You just gotta enjoy being outside, enjoy camping outside, enjoy just taking it at the pace that your body can do and just keep on going. I can't believe I'm already at 539 miles for the trail this year. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to go that far when I started. So hope here's to another 500 something miles here soon. Panther signing out from Wrightwood, California. This is Mary, and this is my wild card assignment. This was assigned, I think, like the second or third week of April for me, and I've just been stalling on it. But because of that, um, it's now May 13th, and I'm in Tehachapi, and I've decided that I'm going to get off here. And I've kind of already had thought about this even before hiking that I was going to get off here in Tehachapi. Uh, my mom lives in Delano, which is not far from Tehachapi, but I was going to just go Nobo, get off Tehachapi, and then go to the northern border and then go south probably in July. I am just not a fan of flip-flopping all over the place, and this just seemed the most logical thing to do. I don't really care to go through the Sierras and snow. I already did the Sierras in 2017, so I have no desire to go through all that again. Um, the people that want to do that, great for you, good for them. I know it's not going to be easy. It's just not something I care to do since I already did it. And just from having already done this section as well, I found myself struggling with wanting to do it. So it's actually now uh, May 14th. I have installed even more. I'm now in Bakersfield, California in the downtown transit center trying to finish this before I get home to Delano and visit my mom. Uh, it's Mother's Day today, so it's kind of great that me getting off trail kind of meets up with Mother's Day since I really don't spend time with my mom. It's going to be good to actually spend a Mother's Day with her at least. And I guess with this wild card episode, one thing to talk about that I think is kind of important is, well, particularly with me, is depression and I guess life choices. As I'm here waiting for the bus, there's just a lot of homelessness and it's just interesting that growing up, I grew up really poor and it's 
funny and it, I mean it's not funny but it's just interesting how some of our choices can lead us there or or not there determining how much we push ourselves to do what we think is hard and we think we can't do stuff but then we find out we can or people tell us that we're not good enough or that we can't do things because we're not capable of being able to do them. And the other thing too is we actually listen to a lot of those comments that people tell us and we start to believe them rather than actually trust ourselves. For most of my life, I feel like I let a lot of people's opinions on what I should do with my life affect me and that also affected my feelings because I wanted more but then I also felt like I wasn't good enough so I didn't strive for more. And then also too with relationships, I let failed relationships determine or tell me that I wasn't good enough for better things when I thought that the person that I was with was better than me. One relationship in particular was kind of what led me down like a really good spiral of depression was this guy I was seeing. And it was kind of like the notebook, except the guy didn't choose me. He chose the other girl, the girl with money, the girl with an education, the girl who had a great family. And I came from nothing and I didn't know my father. I just we were degenerates as far as what other people thought of us. And so I just felt like I wasn't good enough for anything. And for a long time, I just let that relationship weigh me down and tell me I wasn't good enough for anything. I wasn't good enough for more. And so that's when I was like, I couldn't take it anymore. And I wanted to kill myself. But after a while, I just kind of found a way to not do it at my family. In particular, I felt guilty if I did it, I would be letting them down even though I just felt like I didn't want to exist in this world. But but I knew I just couldn't stay there anymore. So I told myself that if I was going to kill myself, I also had to at least try to really live the way I had always wanted before this person ever came into my life. And slowly I started doing it. And eventually the process of doing a lot of the things that I had always wanted to do, it actually started giving me a reason to want to live rather than allowing myself to sulk in this depression and angst and just self-loathing. I mean, I'm not saying it still wasn't there. It definitely was, but it helped. And so I traveled and I moved. I lived in different places. And then again, it was still there. I was struggling with it. And when I was living in Hawaii, I was feeling that way again. And this was me at 40. And so I had came upon the PCT during some search that I was doing for a hike and I decided why not do it and so I did it within nine months I did a lot of research I had to make some of my gear because I couldn't afford to make my gear because I couldn't get a really good job like I had normally gotten and then my family my mom I I love my mom but she always kind of just tears everything down that I want to do and I really wanted to do this so it was just kind of hard trying to find this motivation when there was everything going against me and so and so I did it despite everything and then on mile 8 I actually injured one of my feet and I popped my second toe is bigger than my first toe and that bottom part of the ball popped up and so that caused an issue and I was just like I was not going to let that get in the way of me continuing my hike. I know people hike through all these stupid injuries but that one wasn't anything that I felt like was going to stop me or it was going to make it worse. And I also wasn't going to give up so easily after everything I had given up and went through just to like end it like that. And 
I just waited a few days for it for the swelling to go down and it went down and I still hiked with it a little bit injured. I know I was taking a lot of ibuprofen and then right before Big Bear, it also happened to my other foot. And so kind of the same thing. I waited in Big Bear for a couple of weeks and then continued my hike just to kind of let everything heal up and I'd be all right. And the whole time there's just people who'd come across me and you can see the look in their eyes or like, oh, poor you, you're going to get off trail, sucks to be you. And then the funny thing is, a lot of those people actually quit before me, I should say, because I went all the way through to to, uh, to Mount Shasta. And the thing is, too, about deciding to not quit was me kind of pushing myself through all these obstacles that were happening to me kind of just taught me how to rework things in my head. Um, if not, honestly, for my hiking partner, Terry, if not for me hiking with her for that long through the Sierras and us going through what we went through and trying to f- problem solve the things we had to problem solve because we were short and, you know, figuring things out, I probably wouldn't be with my boyfriend. So much of what I went through in the Sierras helped me, helped me with like a lot of the issues I was struggling with internally with depression and then relationships. And it just gave me the self-confidence that I just didn't realize I had before. And that a lot of the issues that I thought were issues or problems. They were all just, it was just bullshit in my head. And sometimes still, I still struggle with it. But with a lot of the hiking, a lot of the issues that you deal with, it doesn't make it go away. It teaches you how to handle it, how to deal with it, how to wait another day, how to wait another two days. You never quit on a bad day. You push through it, you problem solve. And and that's what hiking kind of does, I think, for a lot of people who are depressed. It just helps you to not give up so easily and quit that day it teaches you just wait another day just suffer through the day or just don't let it overwhelm you find another way it's okay for things to be shitty one day and up the next it's not the end of the world everything doesn't have to be perfect you know in time you'll have that one day that just made it all worth that suffering worth it the only thing is for most of us you kind of have to push yourself through a lot of that and unfortunately a lot of people don't know how to do that so you got to make yourself push through all the difficult times so that way you get to the great times and that's the thing about this hike it's not for everybody it's hard work it's not easy and people who say that it's easy I'm sorry they're lying or they had a harder life than the rest of us and I think I had it pretty shitty but if not for me pushing I would not have gotten where I'm at. And I'm so glad that I didn't give up. However, I did get off at Mount Shasta because I knew I was just done. I was exhausted. I lost so much weight. I ran out of money and it was just time. But I still didn't give up because I'm here now wanting to do it again and finish. Everybody takes what they want out of this hike. Some good, some bad, and it is what you make out of it, unfortunately. It tells you a lot about the kind of person you are or the kind of person you allow yourself to be. For me, this hike is more about the journey and not necessarily the destination. I care about the internal journey, not anything more than that. I'm not signing any registers. I really am not going to apply for any kind of certificate when I'm done with this. Hiking the PCT is definitely a hike your own hike and get what you want out of it kind of a hike. If you kind of don't follow your own little hike your own hike, I think you're going to struggle a lot more and also you're not going to enjoy it as much as you can. If... I didn't do certain things like I left my hiking partner behind. I probably wouldn't have had the experiences I had, unfortunately. I'm sorry I left him, but I really enjoyed meeting the people I met if I didn't leave them. 
I'm over time, so I'm going to leave it at that. This is Summer, and today I am recording from my cozy little cabin here in Big Bear, California. Um, I just passed the 10% done with the trail yesterday, and super exciting. Um, gonna be heading back out later today, but gonna enjoy enjoy myself until then. And yeah, I figured I should. Uh, record my episode. So today we're doing a wildcard episode, so we can all talk about whatever we want, and I have been kind of trying to decide what I wanted to talk about for the past, like, week, and ultimately I realized I just want to talk about how how I've come to kind of view Hike Your Own Hike and what that's kind of taken on for me over the past couple weeks. Um, so when I first started the trail, I, one of my, one of my worries, one of my fears was just not finding a good group to hike with. And especially this year going into the trail, you know, really worrying about finding a good group by the time I get to Kennedy Meadows for the Sierra and, putting a lot of pressure on myself to, yeah, find a group and stick with them. And, you know, you have to have that tramily or whatever, putting so much pressure on that. And for the first couple weeks, um, it just made it really lonely, I think, because I didn't have that. You know, I would hike alone and then I would, you know, meet some people and hike with them for a couple days and it'd be really fun. And then, you know, they would want to zero or something and I wouldn't and we'd split up and then I'd hike alone again. Then I'd meet up with some other people. And it was really awesome, though, because I was meeting all these new people that were all super cool. um, And I was still able to kind of do my own thing, you know, like it's kind of that's just how it seems to work, you know, your schedules might line up for a couple of days, but then inevitably someone's going to want to do something a little bit different, you know? And I, after, so last week I went through San Jacinto and it was an incredible experience. Um, but after that I decided I definitely have no desire to go into the Sierra, um, early in the season, as in, like, June, that a traditional Nobo would go through there, especially this year. Um, that level of snow travel just is too far outside my comfort zone right now, and yeah, I just don't think I'll have any fun doing it. So I changed my permit for a flip-flop. Um, who knows, things might change again, but as of right now, that is my plan. And honestly, the second I did that and I let go of the idea of needing this group to go through the Sierra with and brave the, you know, elements and everything. Like once I let go of that, I just kind of became at peace with hiking my own hike. Like, um, I've been able to just enjoy, you know, hiking with people for a couple days, getting to know them, having some awesome conversation and then doing my own thing and then running to some other people. And what's really cool too, is I find that, 
Um, since I've been going like a little on the faster side, I keep running into new people that I've literally never met before. Um, and it's just, it's just really fun. And then, you know, I got into town here yesterday and just have been running into people constantly and meeting up with people. And it's just been really fun. And you don't need a set group of people that you're hiking with 24 seven to have those kind of experiences. And, you know, I came out here solo and it's okay to do this hike solo. You're never totally alone. There are people around and they will help you and they want to, you know, share your company as well. But you don't have to limit yourself to one set group of people. In fact, I would encourage people not to do that. Um, I think it takes away from the experience sometimes when you're you know, limiting yourself to that, closing yourself off to new experiences and new connections. Um, but yeah, I, I just am really excited for the rest of the trail and kind of viewing it in that way. And especially this year too, reminding myself, I've already had a couple people that I've been hiking with have skipped ahead. Um, and it's really bittersweet to say goodbye but also knowing, you know, I'm going to flip two and who knows, maybe we'll run into each other in a couple months, you know, if I'm going southbound and they're going northbound. And I think that's actually really cool. Um, and I think this year is going to have so much of that. So many, you know, um, you know, reconnections and, you know, reuniting of old friends down the road in places you might not expect and I think that's a a really cool thing and I'm just trying to look at the positives you know um but yeah that's uh I just want to talk a little bit about my experience with the social dynamics and stuff as of right now um but yeah I am so excited to get back out on trail later and yeah Alrighty. Well, that is all for me. Okay. Until next time. Bye. What a ride. Join us next time when our correspondents report back with how their expectations of trail have matched up with and differed from their lived experiences. And if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to it in your favorite podcasting app so that you don't miss future episodes. Also, please share it with others who may be interested in this kind of thing. I know for me personally, this is one of the most cathartic ways to connect to the trail. And whether it's an introduction or a reunion, real-time on-trail accounts like this are unique, intimate, and certainly worthy of passing along. You can find all of the relevant deets and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, I am your host, Moron. Happy trails, y'all.